Hey there. Welcome to the heavy hole. My name is Tom. Hey there yourself. It's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Oh, goodness. Uh, where, he's where's, not here. Where's Justin? Yeah, where's, where is he? He's just not here. Is he okay? He's all right. I've been talking to him. Is he being, is, has he been taken like that movie? We don't know anyone with skills at all, I, so he's fucked. The next YouTube video might be me or like Mel Gibson in that other movie, like, Get me back, my Justin! You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, he's busy, but, you know, who isn't, I guess? Me. I'm not yeah. very busy at all because yeah, well, um, Roland, dude, you see, wow, that segue was fast. I had to explain it for you. I didn't want to give you whiplash. <laughs> I'm not busy at all because they hacked my leg up for barbecue last week. Yeah, yeah, they did. It's bad. It's not cool. Uh, but, it, no, it's, it's, it is, it's all good, and it is cool. The surgery went as planned. I'm all good. I'm on the mend. You saw me at Walgreens in the yeah. pharmaceutical section. Right. That was that made me wonder if I was in like the Truman Show, but it's the Big Will Show. It, it was weird because uh, I was looking for a few things, one of them being melatonin so I can sleep. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to blow up your spot for the listeners. I got to say, that shit works. Okay. I, I deal with insomnia uh, quite often. Mm-hmm. And I've never done this melatonin thing, and I'm like, well, if it's not a drug, see, people tell you you got to try this thing, right? Well, that my, it's not technically a drug, so I'm like, it's not going to work on me. Well, my question is like, is it tech? Is it really technic tech technically not a drug? <laughs> like, could, could I, you know, is, could you have a little fun with it? Um, or is it just like knockout drops? I'm, I'm sure, like, I don't know. Take, take it and see how long you play a game or something. I'll see if you can finish a lap in Mario Kart or something. <laughs> Don't try that with a real car. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've been sleeping like a baby recently. I got a lot of energy. It's great. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you got the energy. I'm yeah. going to have plenty of energy once I'm recouping. But I got lots of time to watch uh, classic horror movies. Nice. Some not-so-classic horror movies. Okay? And, and to listen to classic death metal albums. Very sick. Yeah, it's been going good. I got a little, little time off of work. I'm getting paid for it. Awesome, you know, yeah. You're healing up, all right. You walk down here just fine. I, I it might have looked like that, but I, I, I got a complex uh, levitating system going on. Uh, these, these, yeah, these are these are the brand new Air Monarchs. I too called holding back tears, levitating. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, but yeah, well, yeah, I, I've been watching a lot of horror movies lately. I'm sitting yeah. at home, you know, been following doctor's orders, sitting on the sidelines, watching all the tours get announced. Watching all the shows get announced, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a, a not a not a pit bull. They're lean. They, I'd have to do a lot of sit ups to be like a pit bull. I'm like a I'm like a Saint Bernard, who's been um, what's that stuff you've been taking to sleep? Melatonin. Yeah, I'm like a Saint Bernard who's been taking a, a veterinarian recommended dose of melatonin every night, so he's raring to go every morning. That's like me as a death metal singer right now. But I'm looking forward to that November 13th at Amityville Music Hall with Long Island Legendary Artist Suffocation, Internal Bleeding, uh, Stabbed on the Bill. Uh, that's going to be a beautiful experience for Afterbirth. Um, talking, Me and the Afterbirth guys talking behind the scenes. Uh, other gigs may be forthcoming. Maybe not. I don't even know. You know I'm not going to spill any beans on that. Um, yeah, the classic horror movies. Um, now that I'm kind of like supposed to be laying up, can't be building decks, can't be going to work, can't be doing anything for a week or two. A relative gave me access, allegedly, to their Amazon Prime Video. Oh boy, account. Oh boy. So there's, so you know, Big Will. I'm no, no, I'm Jim Diamond over here. I, I you know, big spender. I'm just looking straight for the free for you category. Yeah, well, not, at least you're not. 
like firsthand sending Jeff Bezos to space. Yeah, You're- I mean, well, just for the listeners, like you know, I'm not really a big Spotify guy. No streaming. It's just you know, if you do it, I'm not hating. I have, I'm not trying to put that energy out there, but I like to keep it old fashioned with my little DVDs and my tapes. But I said, why not? So I kind of perused the Amazon Pro. I gotta say, I watched a few more modern, like cinema kind of horror, like thrillers. I don't yeah. know if you call them horror movies. Okay. Interesting movies that they're putting out nowadays, man. Not bad. What'd you watch? I well, I'm gonna run down. I watched five movies that you can watch for free on Amazon Prime at the moment. Okay. Um, and this is hopefully timed out for Halloween weekend. I'm gonna give you my little. Maybe you've seen a few of them. Tom, you're. you're do you want to do this at the end after the interview? You're, you're fairly hip. Well, because because that might be fun. I like the gentle nudge you just gave to my segue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right. So at the end, well, you know, I'll tell you what. We'll ask the guest about horror, their favorite horror movie, and then at the end, I'll even do. It. I'll say, "What's your favorite scary movie?" And it's not. It's not that one. I was too old when that came out. It's not my generation, but. Uh, something that is my generation, a classic era of brutal 90s guttural death metal. Um, an era that I've referred to on this podcast in many previous interviews and stories as the quote-unquote united guttural era that was ushered in by bands like Flesh Grind and their peers. Tonight our guest is none other than Steve Murray, longtime guitarist and one of the founding members of Flesh Grind from Illinois. We're going to talk to him. Put him on. Huh? Love it. Yeah. This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with our special guest, Steve Murray, longtime guitarist of Flesh Grind. How are you, Steve? I've been, uh, been well. How are you, Ben? And, Steve, um, I got a lot of questions I want to ask you about Flesh Grind going back to the old school days, and there's some recent um, reissues coming out and things like that uh, that I want to talk about. But we always start from the very top, and the listeners know where I'm going uh, are you from a particularly musical family? Like, were there musicians in your family prior to you or anyone maybe in your upbringing who guided you towards heavy metal and hard rock music? Um, no one in my family really played uh, music. But when I was uh, in a kindergarten, I have the distinct memory of going to pick a lunchbox. And it came down between a Star Trek lunchbox or a Kiss lunchbox. So my mom guided me towards the Kiss lunchbox. Because she wanted me to get into music, and it stuck. So mom mom was more of an influence towards music. Yeah. And what about playing, was guitar your first instrument, I should say? Uh, I started off playing saxophone in the fifth or sixth grade. And then around the eighth grade, I kind of, a friend of mine played guitar, and I was always interested in it. He uh, taught me a couple things, uh... The first thing I learned on guitar was some of the solo to Home Sweet Home from Motley Crue. Hmm. Okay. So not very brutal, I know. Well, no, but for the time, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's cooler than um, you know Do Re Mi and Mary Had a Little Lamb, right? When you're a kid, it sure is. Yeah. 
Well, so Motley Crue, Kiss. I mean, when when do your your taste in music take a turn for the more um, heavy or underground, should we say? Well, I guess it, it kind of had kind of had a. I, I never had a person in my life who guided me towards heavier music. It just kind of naturally evolved from, you know, Kiss, Motley Crue, to Ozzy, to Metallica, you know, Slayer, Megadeth. And then um, on to Death, and Sepultura, Obituary, and then, you know, so on and so forth. Okay, and are, are you originally from Chicago, Illinois? Because that's where we associate Flesh Grind with a lot of time, those of us who aren't from uh, your, your area. Well, we're from, um, I grew up in a suburb called Grays Lake, Illinois, which is like 40 miles north of Chicago, which is a suburb. So it's just it's Chicago area, if you will. Okay, and the reason I ask is because something I ask a lot of people, was it where you grew up, was it convenient as a metalhead, so to speak? Did you have access to maybe record stores that sold more extreme metal and did touring bands come through your area? Or was it the type of thing where you had to trek out of town a little bit? Um, no, I was kind of... Um, Chicago was a a train right away or it was only like a, you know a 45 minute drive there was a a bigger town called Waukegan when I was in high school that had they there was kind of a, a really good thrash scene at the time a band called Raph <clears throat> and then the band called uh, Broken Hope was going mm-hmm. and then uh, like uh, Exodus came through there was a band called Raph that was pretty popular at the time and uh, so there was kind of a scene going and there, I, there was some stores around too that sold some more underground stuff so it, it was it wasn't the worst place to be for metal so I, i'll say that okay and um you know you mentioned broken hope obviously legends and uh, brutal death metal uh especially fr- from that area i'm sure when do you start becoming aware specifically of like the underground death metal movement and of bands like 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 brutal truth and and do you start playing uh, guitar more in that style, like as a result of of maybe Broken Hope and exposure to that um, that early '90s movement. Uh, well, like Broken Hope, like there was a, like, like I said, there was a thrash scene going. There wasn't too many death metal bands. Broken Hope was like, you know, the pretty much the first super heavy, brutal death metal band from our er- our immediate area. I'm not going to say all of Chicago. I'm just saying our immediate north of Chicago area, Lake County, we call it. They were the first super brutal, you know, somewhat successful death metal band. So I was exposed to to that stuff, you know, early on, just from being, you know, with watching the local thrash bands. And then um, it just, you just started hearing about all these underground, you know, different underground death metal bands. And I was, I started, I was really into like bow thrower. I started like in high, early on in high school, I started tuning my guitar down to low, low A. And that was what Realm of Chaos was tuned to. And nobody was tuning to that. It was hard to even find that, you know, the, the strings were like spaghetti. It was hard to find 13 gauge strings at the time. So, I, you know, I, I gravitated towards you know, that lower tuning. And I, I, I was really into like Bolt Thrower and Asphyx and, and playing along to their songs. And so I just always liked the, the really down tuning. 
Okay, and <clears throat> yeah, and for the time, that was kind of like a revolutionary thing that, that we're talking about the transition between thrash metal and earlier death metal. Um, well, well, flesh grind is you know I I, sh I shouldn't misstate flesh grind because in 1993, um, you come out with the Holy Pedophile demo. Do you have any bands that predate flesh grind? Uh, no, nothing serious. Our singer and our a singer Rich Lipscomb and our drummer Dave Barbola were in a band called Burial. And then before that, called Trilogy of Terror, neither of which did anything, you know, that big in the scene, but they were local. They did play local, but they were, you know, they were pretty heavy also at the time. Okay, so it sounds like those guys are going, and then you meet up with them, and you start Flesh Grind? Yeah, the, the story, um, our, ba our original bass player, Casey Reba, at the time, came over to my house and he was going over to Rich's house, who was in the singer in the band Burial. So Burial was breaking up at the time, but they were looking to maybe start something new or try to keep it going. They weren't sure. So he asked, Rich asked me if I wanted to maybe, you know, try out for guitar. So I went over there one night and just, you know, played some of the songs I had. And, uh, we, you know, everyone had a good vibe going. So we kind of... Was, I wouldn't call it burial at the time. We were kind of in between, and then we just started writing songs for a band, and it, you know, eventually became Flesh Cards. Okay, and we should say respectfully, um, you know, we just as like you know, we we know uh, Broken Hope and Bolt Thrower. Uh, myself and a lot of the listeners of this show are very familiar with Rich Lipscomb um, and his uh, a lot of his contributions to the underground scene, and and kind of an iconic figure. Um, uh, rest in peace. And, uh, you know, our condolences on that. We know that you were particularly close with him. Um, you know, so as we go on with this interview, we just want to be respectful of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you link up with those guys and Burial kind of turns into Flesh Grind. You have the iconic uh, Holy Pedophile demo, which you talk about Broken Hope. It wasn't it Joe Thasic did guest vocals on that on that tape, right, in 93? Yeah, we were, um, we were pretty close, you know, uh, Jeremy Wagner and I were, uh, you know, used to be really close. And, you know, back then we hung out, all of us kind of hung out a lot. And Brian Griffin, who was uh, their guitarist, and he was also worked as a producer at a recording studio, which was called Wave Digital, which uh, Bowels of Repugnance was recorded there, Swamped and Gore. And so he ended up, you know, you know producing and engineering our first demo and then Joe was always Joe was always hanging around the studio and he hung around us he didn't really have much of a job going so we were just always together and he was just always at the studio so it was pretty natural for him to do the some backup vocals on two songs okay and you know again just like I said respect we all know that this is another person in, in the underground scene who's since passed away um, so we ask respectfully, uh, and we've had other people on who've, who've worked with Joe. We recently interviewed Dave from Mortis Gold and, and some other people. Uh, we just asked maybe your recollections of uh, Joe Thasic as an artist and as a death metal vocalist uh, for those of us who are fans and, and who maybe didn't get as up close and personal as you did with him. Uh, as far as his vocals, I, you know, I know I'm biased, you know, and he was a friend of mine. But I truly thought he had the best brutal death metal vocals ever. 
He didn't cut the mic. He didn't do any special effects for just uh, just an inhuman, like just underwater, just. It's so hard to describe his vocals sometimes. How they were just so powerful, and just like I said, he didn't cut the mic. He didn't like people who cut the mic. <laughs> you know, he he liked it when it was natural, just a just super guttural. You know, just what it was supposed to be. Like if that was a, yeah. he was the definition of a of a brutal death metal vocalist, and and he kind of had the personality to match. I have to say, he was entertaining, but kind of a wild guy. And uh, just funny, but, you know, he kind of had a brutal personality and not everyone got along with him. And a lot of people were intimidated by him, but his vocals were just the best. I, I'm not saying that because he passed or because I was friends with him. They just, it's undeniable when you hear, because like I said, he was never cupping the mic. He was never doing any kind of effects that, you know, were unnatural to get that. It was just so low and thick. It was great. Yeah, well, I, as as a fan who's out here on Long Island, objectively, who, who never got to meet the guy, I'm inclined to agree with everything. Um, you know, real legendary singer, and it's just great to hear hear these kind of old school stories a little bit. Um, and we should I, I should also mention while we're talking about the uh, the holy pedophile demo, and we're we're gonna uh, bring up the sorrow breeds hatred bleed on me demo. Those <clears throat> were both recently reissued by Burning Dogma Records uh, in the Demo Days compilation, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just, we always like to plug things for the listeners. We have a lot of people who check out music. So, um, talking about the Holy Pedophile demo here, the, the actual subject matter here, um, I mean, you're in the era in 1993 of full on death metal. Gore isn't really a new concept. And Holy Pedophile, the, the idea of, uh, you know, what, what many priests and religious leaders have been known to do um, and have been alleged to do. Uh, it's now it's kind of more of a mainstream news item, and I think it's more commonly accepted. But back then, did you guys get any f- uh, uh, flack or feedback from that? And did you maybe choose that subject matter because it was like what's left to push the envelope? Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know if we were that concerned about pushing the envelope per se, but it was kind of a it was a topic that was in the news at the time, and and like like you mentioned, it wasn't so. It wasn't so prevalent in society where everyone just it was just another news story. It was kind of shocking still at the time. And I'm not a religious person, so I wasn't raised with religion. I'm an atheist, so I, I didn't have any qualms about like going at that subject. It, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a rebellion against like religion per se coming from somebody who was religious or I, I, I it was just an ex, you know it's it's a it's a rebellion against authority you know especially you know religion is so you know so prevalent in so many people's lives and it's such an authority figure so it's a rebellion against that but it's just you know just a basically when it comes down to it, it's just a fucked up thing that happens to people and they shouldn't be getting away with it but i, I we didn't really we need to uh, get too much you know flack from that you know we were just a demo band at the time too uh I, if some people have heard the intro it depicts you know i played an organ piece and we put a guy grunting and a baby crying so i mean it was it was humorous at the t- I mean, it, was, it was really funny at the time to make it but i i, I can't listen to it <laughs> these days it's just too much but it was it, it was fun making it it was funny but uh we never got too much flack for that no 
Okay. Well, what's what? I mean, I guess what I'm putting out there is that we had all this explicit gore and even pornography type of stuff going on in, in metal and, and hardcore and punk. Um, and what you guys were displaying was really, you know, kind of a, a more of a anger at something that happens in society that anybody would be angry at. But it was almost sho- more shocking, I think, to people because they're not used to seeing that depicted, man. So I, I, that, that's all I'm saying. But I, I get what you're saying. Um, and there's also, you know, going back, there's, there's every, I think every artist probably has things 20 years ago in their catalog that they, they might not necessarily want to listen to every day. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of the song. I, I think it still holds up as a song. It's just that intro, you know, I have two kids now. I, I it's just something I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm ashamed of it or anything, but it, you know, it, it's just something you did when you were, I guess it was, it was funny to do it when we were like, when I was 19 years old. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so two years later, you guys grind out with the "Sorrow Breeds Hatred, Bleed on Me" demo. Um, I mean, stylistically, I do. We do notice maybe like a little bit of a uh, notch up in production or something. But I, I mean, from your inside perspective, was there anything you in particular wanted to change uh, going forward with that second demo in the sound, or like, was there anything you learned? Where was the band at two years later? Um, I guess we weren't that far. Apart, I mean, uh, on the first demo, the Holy Pedophile, um, two of the songs were already written before I got in the band. Uh, Anger and Two Faced, Rich had written by himself, and they were going to be used for that burial band. But we just used them for Flesh Guy and to fit the style we wanted to do. So, um, you know, so those are solely Rich's songs. The, on the on, on the next demo, Sorrow Breeds Hatred, you know, I I did majority of the songwriting. And um, so maybe that's why it sounds a little bit different. It was a little bit, um, okay, a, a little bit notier. Just a, so I, I guess it was different style, a little more. It still sounds like flesh grind, but yeah, it's a little bit different. Well, well, that's also Rich. Didn't a Rich also originally play guitar at one point in the band along with you? Yeah, he did. I mean, like on the demos, Rich isn't wasn't the cleanest of guitar players, so I always. On the both demos, I recorded all the guitars, just so it's a cleaner sound. And then, um, when we got, I don't want to jump ahead. I know you have a, you know, a story you're working with here. But when we uh, when we got a different drummer, we really started doing more complicated things, more complicated patterns, and it was just easier for me to play the guitar and for him just to sing. Okay, got it. I only, yeah, I'm not trying to be like um, uh, paparazzi here with the questions. I just, I actually happened, like, Flesh Grind, I don't know if you happen to remember playing uh, on Long Island back in probably like 97 or 98 at a place called Craw Daddy's, and it was in Amityville, Long Island, like the Amityville yeah, Horror House. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Lord of the K. Exactly, and it dis- uh, Long Island's disfigured and internal bleeding. And yeah, yeah, dis- yeah. That's actually the first underground death metal show I ever attended. So I'll always oh, really? remember awesome, that. Man. Yeah, yeah, and I went on to see Flesh Grind at like Milwaukee Metal Fest 2000, quite a few other times. So I remember um, kind of different era. I also remember, I think one time, Rich performing on stage with crutches. I think he hurt his leg or something. Yeah, yeah, that was at uh, I think New Jersey Metal Fest, maybe. Yeah, I forget, man. But yeah, it was just kind of like you know, you kind of respect that. You know, you guys didn't cancel or anything, man. You know, he trooped out, did it. Yeah, that's a that's a whole that whole story is a funny story, but 
We got time if you, if you want to get into it, but we could keep. Pushing. Well, the re- I mean, if, if, I mean, some people might remember he had broken his leg, but uh, we, we were playing a show in in Huntsville, Alabama, and after the show, he was they were outside smoking weed, and he was up some fire escape ladder, and he he fell off the ladder. It was only like seven feet. So I, I, I was inside, and someone came. I think Jimmy, our bass player, came running in saying, "Rich just broke his leg." And sure as shit, his you know his it was a compound fracture. His his leg, his foot was sideways. He had combat boots on, so you couldn't see the bone, but you could see it was sideways. So we ended up, um, you know, it's it's like Huntsville, Alabama, on a Saturday night, like you know, late. So mm-hmm. that just trying to get to a hospital. We ended up going to a children's hospital, like the children's <laughs> section, so we couldn't be there. We had to, and then we had to leave there. Try to get him back in the van while he has his. Now the pain's really starting to set in. He's he's straight up screaming. Mm. We had to try to get him to the uh, the right section of the hospital. So we, we get him there finally, and they they do what they got to do. But then we have to drive home from Huntsville, Alabama, with him with his leg in between the two seats, kind of you know you know resting, but still like you'd wake up sometimes and he'd be screaming, thinking that. Some like we were burning his foot with a cigarette, but so it was kind of it's a, a horrible memory, but a funny memory at the same time, for, you know. But <laughs> well, we appreciate you sharing it, man. What you know, yeah. that's that's crazy. That's that's one of those wild road stories from underground death metal, man. Wow, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, uh, so so we'll we'll push it on, man. Um, uh, we want to talk about Destined for Defilement. Uh, 1997, one of my personal favorite albums. I, I just told you, you know, my my beginnings in death metal, so that has a special nostalgic thing for me. Uh, Pulver, right. Pulverizer Records, we've interviewed uh, Mortal Decay, uh, Blood of Christ, and now you guys. We were kind of working down the Pulverizer Records roster uh, from the 90s. Um, so right yeah, the- what, what, a, what a roster they had. Like, just looking back and seeing all the bands that were on that roster at one time, it's, it was uh, quite impressive looking back. Absolutely, it occurred to me today. Yeah, absolutely. That we kind of have another one to check off the list. And you, you already mentioned Brian Griffin produced uh, this album, "Destined for Defilement." Um, you have uh, Dave Dave Barbola on drums uh, again from the original lineup, and Ray Vas- Vasquez is on bass at this point, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, with with "Destined for Defilement" on Pulverizer Records, first of all, I believe the guy was Randy who ran Pulverizer, right? Randy Williams. Yep. And uh, just any any reflections on that period of time working with him and um uh you know what that label did for the band? Um, I remember Randy was a lo- kind of a local guy. You know, he lived in a town called Dixon, Illinois, which was like two hours west, kind of a I don't want to say a farm town, but it was like out in the sticks. Yeah, he had a zine called Inner Source, which it was a pretty good zine. You know, it was pretty successful. It was, you know, he had pictures in it and everything. So it was kind of professional looking for zines, as far as zines went back then. You know, it had glossy, co- kind of a glossy cover. So so he had, um, you know, I, I don't know where he got money to start a, a label, but yeah, he started getting all these bands going. I, I, you know, he was kind of, you know, he interviewed Flesh Guy and we knew him, but he was always kind of doubtful, like, he's always kind of doubtful if we would sell or not, you know, it's, you know, looking back, it's kind of, cause that's for defilement did well. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a funny memory to think that he kind of doubted it huh. at first, but, but, um, 
yeah, he was always kind of a friend of the band. He 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 would go with us to shows. As uh, I, I I'm almost positive he was at that Amityville show. I think he was with us because he he went out to Long Island with us, and he and that had to have been the show he was he was at that show too. Uh, <clears throat> ironically enough, that you're asking about, but yeah, he was at that show. So yeah, he would come up, come with us. He would come with us to Canada. So. You know, at first he was kind of signing the local like jungle rot, you know, a flesh dried lung brush, and he was kind of. And then uh, I think we went to Canada. He probably that's where he hooked up with um, Blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of the beginnings of that label. Yeah, um, yeah, just something interesting. And then you know, the album itself. When we get, you know, when we when we get into um, Seeds of Abysmal Torment, uh, your 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 follow up album, and then Murder Without End, the third album, they definitely took what was for the time a more modern approach in terms of blasting and speed, and we'll talk about that. But I just want to know for Destined for Defilement, uh, where that sits in terms of um, tempos and maybe Dave Barbola's performance on drums, do you see it as more of a gateway from the older school style of brutal death metal? Uh, such as you know, like Cannibal Corpse and Broken, older Broken Hope, um, uh, uh, st- with one foot stepping into what would become like uh, the quote-unquote United Guttural sound. Um, I mean, it wasn't a conscious like. In retrospect, yeah, it, it seems like that, but it wasn't a super conscious decision back then. It was Dave was a simple drummer, and he. He was a simple drummer, but and then also he didn't really want to tour. So we were kind of at a kind of at a two crossroads. We wanted to get more complicated and faster, and then also tour. So we kind of had to you know part ways with Dave, you know. So it, which was really rough on us, and especially Rich because Rich had been friends with him for so long. But he didn't he didn't want to tour. He didn't want to fly anywhere, or you know. It's a rough, it's a rough lifestyle, so you have to kind of want to do it. And uh, we did, and he didn't. And but, and then also at the same time, we wanted to go faster, and get a little more chaotic sounding, and to start pushing the envelope. So we needed, you know, a drummer who could do it. So we got Alan from a band called Euphoric Evisceration. Yeah, yeah, I I noticed that during the research because. Um... I, I, I know I'm familiar with the In the Mind of Perversion uh, demo that Euphoric Evisceration put out in 96, just for the listeners if they want to check that out. Not necessarily a great demo. It's very interesting, but not necessarily known for its like nonstop blasting. So I guess the guy kind of like st- stepped up his tempos and his blast beat game by the time you got him. Yeah, that's kind of a weird, it's a weird demo, weird sounding, but if you were to see them live, like it... It all came together like it sounded like it was supposed to. It was way more intense sounding. They're, you know, they're a great band. Uh, their singer at the time, Josh, was just a, he had a really kind of a unique vocal, and like they had a good stage presence. And they, uh, you know, they used to cover a Flesh Grind song, so we knew he could play huh. the stuff. And then he was a Flesh Grind fan, but he was able to blast really fast. You know, he he could blast you know faster than most people, especially at the time. And he did it, and he was real about it, too. There was no uh, studio trickery with him. or You know, he was a very... He was an excellent, excellent drummer, you know, ability-wise. Yeah, um, so... so well, you can tell for Seeds of... That's the thing, is... I've, you know, I, I was... I had a conversation 
Um, uh, a guy, Vito, that calls into the show. Uh, we were talking about Destined for Defilement. And, you know, Dave Barbola might not have been the most, like, hyper-blasting uh, uh, ping, ping, ping drummer. But there's a certain brutality. I almost liken it to a Midwest uh, take on what Internal Bleeding was doing at the time. Where it wasn't so much about hyper blasting, but about like a like a pulverizing group groove, you know, not to use the the um the pun pulverizer. Yeah, and you know, uh, like at the time, you know, I wanted personally wanted to write more chaotic sounding music, not just you know, not just kind of plotting you know death metal, which we were kind of doing. I I wanted to write more angry chaotic sounding dissonant type songs so it, you know alan was great for that and uh it, but in in retrospect it's you know it's like you know bill andrews from death like he, he was such a simple drummer drummer but it was so effective and catchy you know so it, it was like like you said it was it, it, it's brutal in its own way without being like you know fast it, it was just they had it did. Dave did have that same quality to him, where it was kind of a catchy, but simple, but yet heavy style to it. But just at the time, we wanted to be more chaotic. Yeah, exactly, man. And there's, uh, you know, as a listener, um, it's it's always good to have some variety in the catalog, you know. So there, so it, either one is good. And as we get into Seeds of Abysmal Torment, your second album, you guys, first of all, you take a step and you put it out on Olympic Records, which at the time. I don't know that they're still active, but they, they were, I mean, they were known for, at the time, I believe, for like gore guts, internal bleeding. They were putting out some big stuff. Yeah, that that whole, the whole Seeds of Abysmal Torment era is really, it's a strange, it's a very strange era for us. It was, for for, for many reasons, I'll go, I'll, I'll go into them, but the, um, the first, you know, we spent a lot of time writing those songs. We spent a lot of time, you know, uh, arranging them, rearranging them. You know, Rich wasn't playing guitar anymore, so we could do more, you know, more complicated things with more complicated arrangements and different vocal players. So we really spent a lot of time, you know, writing that album and concentrating on that album. And we, we had some of them. We got Olympic, which was, it was a much bigger label. But the, when we went to record it, it didn't, it didn't turn out audio wise what we were hoping it was just it was just not it didn't sound as good as Destin for defilement it was just you know you know i'm not a producer so i it, and as you're doing it it's kind of hard to know exactly what it's going to sound like you kind of have to trust the producer but uh, you know brian griffin at the time we used he wanted to use his uh, it was a line six pedal and the, the guitar tone came out, you know, way thinner than I would have liked. I did four tracks of guitar for that album too. So, it, it, and it still sounds kind of thin. So we weren't happy with the production, but you know, we're not, you know, Metallica, you just can't scrap the whole thing and redo it with somebody else. So it was really unfortunate because we, we had such a good buzz going for us at the time. You know, we had just done Milwaukee Metal Fest. It was in 2000. It was very successful. We had just done a European tour. We're on Olympic. You know, the train is running full steam ahead for us. Um, Richard just started United Guttural. 
everything was just lined up and then two things happened that the album came out and it didn't sound that great and then also he broke rich broke his leg so we couldn't even tour on it so it really just took just took the wind out of our sails completely Mm, okay um well sorry to hear that man um you know as a fan i didn't realize that as much uh looking back listening to the album today um because when i listen back to it uh you know maybe not so much in terms of the atmosphere surrounding the album like you were talking about but the actual the, the kind of stylistic shift that took place between destined for defilement and seeds of abysmal torment well what i, what I was going to ask was a whole different line of questioning because what i was interested in is in the late 90s something i've talked about is how death metal stopped becoming as commercially viable for these big more corporate entities and record labels um and you know like carcass and bolt thrower the era of the like 93 94 death metal boom was kind of over so what i've talked about with like we talked about it with malignancy and a lot of other people from that from the era is that how death metal kind of got squished the brutal, like, die-hard death metal people such as yourself and, and the people that were around at the time, I feel like that was the environment where death metal got pushed maybe faster and the, the vocals got more guttural. And, and um, you know, I've, I've referred to it as the United Guttural Era in a lot of other um, conversations on the podcast before we had you on. So what I, what I want to know is, do you see the difference on the second album, maybe? Is there a, an intermingling with, like, European gore grind and grindcore that took place in the late 90s with, like, the Midwest death metal scene? And did you did you notice that maybe more having toured in Europe? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, that Seeds of Abysmal Torment, I think, you know, pretty much all of the music, it's, you know, 99% written by me. So, I, you know, I... I listen to a lot of, um, you know, even more somewhat melodic, you know, European bands have a little bit more melody to them. And like I said, I wanted a more chaotic, a more hateful, chaotic sounding type feel to it, not just a controlled heaviness. I wanted some ugliness. So, you know, I, I liked listening, you know, and I like grindcore. I wanted something a little more, a little more with that frenetic energy an ugliness to it so that's why you know but also some of those songs that are album have some melody to them because i like some you know i like melodic death metal too so that's where that kind of creeped in but i you know i definitely i try you know i wrote almost all the songs in there so i tried to make them different from each other too so like i said earlier i i put a lot of time and effort into that album okay and maybe that's where i'm getting that that idea about european grindcore because um, you know, we like in the late '90s. That was a big thing too. Was was the Czech Republic uh, kind of coming out with all these crazy grindcore band, alienation, mental, and contrastic, and um, uh, pigsty, and and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, and I, I liked Rotten Sound a lot at the time too. So I don't know. Oh, if that... Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Well, that's you know, the, 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 yeah, from Finland. Yeah, another band, just kind of grind, like, just reflecting grindcore and extremity at the time. Um, and talking about that, you guys got, you guys, it seemed like you were able to get out to Europe uh, fairly frequently, right? Oh, no, we, no, we actually only played out there once, but I, I mean, we kind of toured out there before a lot of other bands were able to get out there for, for whatever reason, but we always seem to do well in Europe. You know, I don't know why that is, but we, 
have always, you know, we, we got a lot of mail early on from Europe, you know, and, you know, you'd always see our sales were always strong from over there for, for, for what, why, I don't know, but yeah, it's cool. Okay. I th- well, maybe the reason I had that, that misconception, because another thing we should shout out, Burning Dogma Records put out the uh, live in, I'm going to say, uh, Vermelskirchen, Germany, 2000. Oh, yeah. um, well, that, but that's actually because there's been live material recorded in Germany released several times by Flesh Grind, but this is the entire concert with stuff that was never released, right? Right. The original live in Germany that you know, Rich put out through United Guttural, that was recorded at a festival called Fuck the Commerce, which is, it's straight from the board. And for, for some reason, it's it, it came straight from the board and it sounded great, like sound quality wise. Mm-hmm. So we so we put it out. But then also the one that was just, you know, that uh, live and wherever it's called, is that was also recorded and also sounded well. But we'd also, we would kind of piecemeal that songs from that out like we did on um the mortician the lp there's a song on there from that from that show because that show turned out well too but it's from the same tour but there is that there's also that's another full show Mm -hmm. okay all right just 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 to clarify that um and you know you mentioned rich starting united guttural records in 1998 i believe it was um yeah around there yeah. Do you, now, I mean, obviously, Rich was his own man. You know, we're here to interview you and about your contributions to the band. Um, so I don't want I don't want to try to just like like cloud you with questions about United Guttural. But uh, how close were you um, to that process? Did, did, did you assist in any way or did you watch Rich start the label? Um, I guess I, I watched. But, you know, uh, Jimmy, our, you know, our bass player at the time, did more helped more. I mean. You know, in some ways back then, I was kind of, I don't want to say at odds with it, but it took up a lot of his time. So when we were writing The Seeds of Invisible Torment, we had the new drummer. So, I, you know, I taught him all the new songs. You know, I wrote all the songs with him. And then I wrote, you know, almost all of the lyrics and placed the lyrics. So to get rich, to get, you know, it took up so much of his time. You know, sometime it was kind of, you know, I would get frustrated. Like I wanted to work on flesh grind stuff, you know, work on these lyrics, the, the placement of the lyrics and, the, you know, how he wants them to be sung and things of that nature. And then he would be so busy with, you know, a guttural, you know, he, he just put so much time into it, you know? So, so, so sometimes I was almost even at, at odds with it because I wanted it. I would go over there for practice and then, Hey, come on down to the, you know, into the basement and he'd be upstairs doing, you know, the United Guttural thing. So, it, it, you know, it's just like I said, I was, I was at odds with it sometimes. I, I didn't I didn't really help out with it at all. It was all, you know, Jimmy did, but I didn't have much to do with it at all. Okay, fair enough. That's why I asked to clarify that. And um, that's, I think that's a dynamic that plays out sometimes in labels because in the underground, there's always people who are doing a, a few different bands, doing a, a band and a zine back in the day, or a band and a label like we're talking about. So it's it's tough um, uh, prioritizing your, your time and all that sort of thing, man. Yeah, too. Plus, you know, it, you know, it's a passion. Everyone's everyone's doing this as a passion, out of a labor of love. It's like Rich was getting you know wealthy from it. He just loved doing it. So you're battling his passion versus 
my passion and this is also his passion but he has another passion you know so he wants to spend a lot of time doing it and trying to do it right and i'm trying to do flesh garden and do it right so he's kind of you know in some ways he's kind of doing flesh garden was part-time while i was doing it full-time you know but you have to kind of understand it but we gave you know we didn't have any, like big fights or arguments about it I, you know i understood what was going on but it was just sometimes frustrating yeah, of course. I've been in and out of bands uh, for years. I can understand that dynamic. Um, I get it. Uh, so, now, we talk about uh, the band moving on. United Guttural obviously became um, a huge movement, and it's interesting to see how that affected the band, but you guys were able to come back for Murder Without End uh, in 2003, where you enlisted Derek Hoffman on drums, who um, was in... Uh, contributed uh, to Decrepit, Gorgasms, uh, Cinerary, uh, and, and more bands that some of our listeners might remember. Yeah, he was kind of, um, he was kind of a, you know, a le- I don't want to say legendary at the time, but, you know, everyone knew who he was. He was, a you know, a fast drummer, like the Gorgasm, you know, like Stabu and Intercourse is just such a fantastic album. Yeah. You know, and it, it, you know, some, some albums become fantastic over time. That album came out and was fantastic from the get-go. And then uh, as a live band, they were just untouchable. They were just such a force. And then uh, he was uh, he was kind of known for his non-stop double bass. And uh, he kind of helped pioneer that sound of, you know, the you know what I know Dave Colross used to call it the bomb blast. But, you know, he was one of the earlier people doing that non-stop double bass, too, with Gorgasm. So he was kind of known for that. You know, Flesh Gun didn't really utilize that sound of his that much, but he kind of had a, a one-foot blast sound to him too, kind of more in the kind of in threes, if you know, if you could kind of you know the feel. So it was a different feel for us. So we, you know, we had to write songs around his his drumming too. So that that kind of made it more, you know, it was fun to write around it, you know, around his style. Now, I mean, here respectfully, when when you were uh, going into that, when you were releasing that album, did you have any idea that that could <clears throat> be Flesh Grind's last full length album? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, if you look, if you think of it in terms of you know a momentum, there was we're really starting to, um, you know, D- Derek Derek lived like an hour and a half away in traffic you know so it was hard for him to the practice and like you know there were some personality conflicts there so things were just getting difficult and as you're getting older and united guttural is taking more and more you know becoming more serious and uh just you know other personality issues so I, if you would have told me this is the last one at the time i wouldn't have been that surprised i, I wouldn't have been happy about it knowing that but I wouldn't have been that surprised. You know, I, I'm very proud of that album. I, the way that I wish we had that production as the Seeds of Abysmal Torment. So, that, I mean, that was the production. We, it, was, it was a really good production. But, I mean, the songs, we didn't spend as much time on the songs as I do Seeds of Abysmal Torment. It was kind of, we were kind of rushed. We were only given, you know, six months to write and record it. So, I mean, all things considered, I thought it turned out great. Yeah. Okay. Um. And well, that, that's it's interesting too because you mentioned the production, 
and wishing you could have had that on, on the, pri- the prior album. If I got it right, Brian Griffin produced Seeds of Abysmal Torment uh, and Destined for Defilement, and Murder Without End was actually your, your first and only time working with Chris Wisco as a producer? Yeah, well, Chris DeShurik is... Uh, Wisco stands for Wisconsin for his online stuff, I guess. But um, Okay, all right. Yeah, he yeah because he, Chris had recorded Jungle Rot, you know, those Gorgasm albums, uh, Origin... Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who else he worked with. He, so he was, and he, he was a he was a friend of mine. Like in real life, aside from bands, you know, we hung out and spent time. You know, we would spend hang out on the weekends together. So it was he was kind of a a non-band friend at the time too. So you know, I mean, Brian Griffin is a friend too, but he was more band friend. I I, I didn't really hang out with Brian much, just. You know, non-band related stuff. But I would hang out with Chris, so it was kind of natural to do it with him. Got it. And and um, just having worked with Brian Griffin for so long, with all due respect to his process, because you know, having been in bands myself, you know that every producer has kind of a different process, a different setup, a different way of doing things. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what did you find different after all those years working with Brian Griffin about working with Chris on that album? Well. At the time when Brian Griffin, like he was, when Swamp and Gore came out, that was like the fir- you know one of the first all digital death metal albums that was recorded because digi- digital recording was pretty new at the time. Most people record recorded analog. So and then the Broken Hope's next album was a Repulsive Conception that was recorded at a different studio and that was analog, and that has a really thick, warm, heavy production. And that's where we recorded Sorrow Beats Hatred as well. And that, you know, that came out decent. And then uh, Destiny for Defilement was recorded there as well. And that came out nice. And then, I, I, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you from a producing or engineering standpoint what went wrong on Seeds of Abysmal Torment. I just think the guitar tone is way too thin and not enough punch to it, which I attribute to the line six pedal he was using. Uh, you know, you know, Driven to Conquer from Internal Bleeding was recorded there shortly thereafter. And I know, you know, they were concerned about the guitar tone too, because, you know, Internal Bleeding had that, uh, you know, a good uh, thick guitar tone as well. So they were kind of concerned. But, you know, uh, you know, on the other hand, you want, it was notier, you wanted the notes to come through so it couldn't be too thick. But like I mentioned earlier, it's hard as you're doing it, it's hard to know how it's going to come out exactly. And then when it does come out, you just can't scrap it. Yeah. So when it, when it came out not as like more raw than we would have liked, it, it was just like I said, it was uh, it was disappointing. So it seemed natural to try somebody different on Murder Without and you know everything that he was putting out was kind of what the sound we were kind of you know hoping for. And um, like you know, like uh, as far as uh, going back to Seeds of Abysmal Torment, to give you know Alan credit, you know the only thing that's triggered are the kick drums, but everything else is natural. Like that—that's his natural blast. It's not—it's not enhanced or there's no Pro Tools. So it's an impressive drumming performance that. You know, most it's kind of it's more it's more pure, whereas on Murder Without End, 
it was more um you know there's pro tools out it to fix everything so it made it easier to record it makes it easier and more budget friendly to record with pro tools but it it, it does i think ultimately sound better as well okay um yeah i just appreciate the insight uh into the albums uh, especially we have you know we, we have people listening who are familiar with flesh grinds uh, different uh, work and all that, um, and you know we talk about you know we talked about Gorgasm before we've had uh, Von Young from Deaden on the show, um, and we've we've talked about a lot uh, the the kind of Midwest scene um, not just Illinois but also Indiana, uh, Ohio, and uh, there's. Uh, when we talk about these bands, there's a point of extremity with a lot of the lyrics and the cover art and things like that. I don't know that Flesh Grind ever pushed the envelope quite as much as Deaden um, with some of their some of their imp, like real life gore imagery and things like that. But maybe could you speak to? Is there something that you might see regionally? Like like we speak on Long Island sometimes um, uh, about what what might make Long Island like dark or brutal or the subject matter of certain bands regionally. Could you speak regionally? From your area out there in the Midwestern Illinois, what might inspire that kind of extremity in the subject matter and and the lyrics of the bands? Is there any like, um, is there anything to where you live? Von Young kind of put it that you know there's there's not a lot going on in certain areas. There's very rural areas where people might not have a lot going on. So that's how you express that extremity. You know that's how, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think Flesh Guy was ever you know. You know, even with the name Flesh Grind, I don't think it was ever particularly super gory. Like uh, you had mentioned, like, you know, Dead and, you know, they had more extreme pictures and stuff. So maybe, you know, I I don't know really the answer to that as far as, like, is it a regional type thing? Because, like, there was plenty to do. There's plenty to do around here. It's kind of like, are you still on Long Island? Yes. So, I mean, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, it's just like Long Island. You know, the city's close. There's still stuff to do, you know, you know, regionally without having to go in the city. It's, you know, it's pretty congested. There's lots of cars, traffic. There's things to do, places to eat. So whereas like Dudden and Lividity, they're, they're more from a rural middle of Illinois type areas. Maybe people from, you know, bands from Ohio you know, regurgitation and what, you know, they're more, I mean, there's more Cleveland. So it's hard for me to sit there, you know, talk for them, but for flesh guy, I I mean, no one was really that into uh, like gore type stuff. I know like the song, you know, the Sarbreed's hatred was about, you know, I had read a story that um, someone, uh, uh, someone who was like killed, you know, like they're, they killed people because they were put down all their life. So, you know, they're, you know, the sorrow, it bred the hatred. So it was more like for me, the lyrics are more psychological than they were just straight up gore. So, I mean, that's where my, you know, influence for lyrics is more geared towards as, as you know, I, I, I'm not that into gore. So I, I don't know why, you know, like, it's hard. It's such a great question. Like, you know, and it's, it's an interesting question too. But at the same time, I, I'm 
I don't think I have a good answer for you. <laughs> well, that that's all we could ask you to do. And we also, again, we can't ask you to represent a whole region, especially not even people who aren't from your state and all that. But, um, and, you know, looking back onto it, it's not necessarily just the Midwest. We've had Long Island bands that used real gore. The real gore thing was very prevalent for a while all over the place. Um, but, but just, you know, we, we always like to ask that sort of perspective sometimes from people about where they're from. Um, yeah. And, and as, as we move, move forward, uh, you know, I mentioned that that would go on to become, uh, the last flesh grind album. Uh, and we know that Rich folds the label and it's, it's sold to Deathgasm Records in 2005. And it's even like listed on Metallum that, that Rich kind of, I guess, uh, for, for his own reasons, um, disbands flesh grind or leaves flesh grind around that time. Right. Yeah, it was, um, you know, prior, well, a lot of this originates from that breaking the leg. So he breaks his leg in 2000. He doesn't have insurance. So he starts seeking alternative medicines to help him with his, you know, pain and whatnot. So he starts to get into like, homeopathic more you know all natural remedies for things and then he gets really really into this stuff and it really took us it took we were taken aback by it we couldn't believe he got that into it but you know on the other hand you know you know he was my such a good friend for years you you want to see somebody who's happy doing things they want to do but he really as much as he got into like United Guttural, he got into these like rocks and, and healing. Like, like to me, it's just such nonsense. And he would try to talk to me about it. And I didn't want to hear it. Uh, it's just such nonsense to me. You know, no offense to anybody who's into that stuff, but for me personally, it's it's complete nonsense. And I, I and he would spend a lot of time. We would play shows, and he would have to go out to these rock places, like rock stores, and get rocks. I was like, no, we have to carry around all these rocks. Uh, you know, it's just, it was just strange. It was so strange. And, uh, you know, he would burn sage in you know, hotel rooms and things. It just, it just got really strange. But people would pay him to, like, do his healing and stuff with his hands. And it was just so far out there for us. You know, the spirit, you know, none of us were like spiritual people. It, you know, it, so it just became... And then eventually, at 2005, he wanted to pursue that full time and not be in the band anymore. So it kind of just we were going to continue flesh grinding without him because it does, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, was this like a, a Christian thing, or it, it seemed you know at first at the end you know it seemed like it was more Christian, but at the at the beginning of it, it wasn't Christian at all. It was just spiritual and like healing energy and you know that that type of thing i guess you know I, so it, it was it was really it's, it's still strange to me it was very strange then okay you know, but yeah he was that's what he was into so i mean is it would it would you say it was fair to say that maybe he gradually used a lot of that like energy that he was using um no pun intended saying energy but a lot of that uh, that mindset he had towards United Guttural Records, towards like that that interest in uh, the like these crystals or whatever, and the New Age practicing. Yeah, he put all that. You know, Rich. Rich wasn't really a, a half-assed guy. 
he would kind of put all his energy, you know, into into something. Usually, you know, so like, you know, at first it was flesh grind, and then it was United Gutter Roll, and then it was the spiritual stuff. So it, he really put, you know, you know, Rich. If you ever knew him personally, he was a very positive. He was a very positive energy. I, you know, I don't want to use that term, you know, but he he was a very positive person. Just upbeat, positive outlook. You know, you know as 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 much as his, you know, brutal death metal persona, if you will, the vocals and stuff. But he was a very positive person to be around normally, and just energetic and hardworking. You know, so. It, but then you know when he went into this crystal stuff, which is about positive energy and stuff, it was more literal you know, positive energy and stuff, you know, he would say it was, he could heal people with his hands. I don't believe he, people could be healed with his hands, but he did, but he got really into it. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, that, you know, that's what he chose to, to do, um, and, and, and get into, uh, and we've had all, all variety of different lifestyles and, and, uh, you know, spiritual paths on the, on this show before. Um, now, but but you know we got we got you on Steve. Um, you know with with all due respect to Rich, so in 2005, like you said, it didn't make sense to go on without Rich because he was kind of like the front man and the face of the band for so many years. Um, did you? We know that you did some work playing live with the uh, the more kind of doom style band of Vernus, um, and you're actually on uh, a live album they put out in 2000 but beyond that uh you didn't you didn't really perform with any more metal bands at least uh after that right no we were toying with starting a different band because we had um jesse was playing drums for flesh at the time he didn't play on any recordings unfortunately but you know, he was such a he was such a great drummer and a great personality we wanted to and then we wanted to continue doing a band not flesh grind, but maybe like me, Jimmy, and Jesse. And we were, you know, at the time, we really were thinking about getting Ray, you know, LeBron from uh, Immortal Suffering huh. and Internal Bleeding. At the time, he had moved to Milwaukee. Yeah. And we liked it. we liked him and we liked his vocals. So we thought maybe we could get some going there. But, you know, I, I you know, for me personally, I, I met my current wife at the time. So it was just the natural progression for me was more like to kind of not really do, you know, bands anymore. Yeah, as happens um, naturally in a lot of people's lives. That's interesting. You, Ray Lebron, we got to actually get Ray Lebron for an interview because he, uh, his name keeps popping up randomly. And I, you know, I always knew him growing up as having been in immortal suffering, uh, and then later on in internal bleeding. And I found out that he was actually—I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Burial Ritual from uh, Wisconsin. Um, Ray Ray popped up in that band a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's a uh, you know. I, I don't know Ray that well, but he was always a, a a good person. He always put off a good vibe, and you know he had uh, good vocals and a good stage presence. So it's no surprise he was in demand. Yeah, yeah, just uh, it, well, just interesting for a New York someone I think of as a New York person to to pop up over there. But um, fair enough. And uh, you know, as we wind down, um, uh, it's perfectly understandable that after everything you would put into flesh grind and you kind of transition into a different period of your life. Uh, as you said, you're more of a family-oriented person nowadays. But we see, uh, you know, as as we know, Rich unfortunately passed away fairly recently. Just I believe it was earlier this year, right? Yeah, March. Yeah, March of this year. So it's still very fresh. 
and I, I did notice that Burning Dogma Records had put out these um, reissues. Was that uh, kind of in tribute to Rich, or had the, the wheels been in motion before he passed away? Well, I, um, the wheels had been in motion before he passed away, so it was just kind of a coincidence. You know, as as this was all coming together, he passed away. Okay, just just yeah, uh, yeah just asking. But the, the, the demos were originally like at the time when we put the demos out, Rich paid for the demos. You know, out of his own pocket, so they were kind of his to do, just to kind of sell. I mean, him and I was were always you know talk about putting them out in CD and. We had various offers, but he always wanted too much money, I thought, you know, than I would have thought they were worth. But um, eventually, I'm, I'm just glad they got put out on CD. Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, I, I kind of go go old school and, and, you know, pick out a lot of bands that I, I you know, I, I know from back when I was a lot younger, just getting into death metal. Um, so sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll interview people who don't even have a current release, but I just thought it was great that we could at least plug that for the kind of the collectors and the younger listeners who might not know, um, uh, you know, the legacy. So I appreciate your time and that we could have this conversation. Um, and just, I know, uh, people, if they want to check out, you actually do have a YouTube, uh, fairly active YouTube profile. Um, that's you, El Diablo Rojo X, right? No, that's Jimmy, our bass player, who he's also in Jungle Rat. Oh, okay. I, I apologize then. My mistake. I I have I there's the official flesh grind YouTube channel that I kind of run. I don't really do much. I just kind of use it as a place to upload some videos. And I just call it the official flesh grind channel. I don't really like promote it or do anything with with it, but it is you know official that I'm doing it. So. All right, so it's there for people to check out. And the reason I stumbled upon that um, that other YouTube channel was because he was doing some uh, flesh grind playthroughs of different flesh grind songs. Yeah, I mean, I kind of watch one of those. I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't keep up with him doing that stuff. But um, yeah, if people want to check that out, they can check that out. I mean, yeah, of course. Fair enough. My mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, going forward, just, just as we wrap things up, we always ask you uh, to recommend um, uh, some music for the listeners. But being uh, the, the season that we're in right now, uh, I don't know. Are are you a horror movie fan? Would you describe yourself as a horror movie fan of any kind? Um, I would. I wouldn't call myself a diehard horror movie fan. My favorite horror movie of all time would be the first Saw. The first Saw. Yeah. Wow, that that's interesting. After the conversation we just had about uh, Flesh Grind not really being into into so much into the gore as, as other bands, man, that's crazy. Yeah, okay. but that but that movie is so psychological. It's very dreadful the whole time. It's, yeah. it's really it's a it's heavy on the mind. It's not. I think it's heavier on the mind than it is the gore. So you know you might be right now that I think I can kind of see your angle. I I, I get it. Okay, um, that's good, man. And uh, uh, then we we also always ask um, if you could recommend. One older album and one newer album, uh, just in general, doesn't have to be metal, can be metal, just something old and something new for us and the listeners to check out, uh, based on your recommendation. Um, one of my, you know, it's so hard to say an older one because you have so many, you know, but I, I, I you know, I've always really treasured uh, the Mortal Decay album with Kelly you know, um, the chronicism, 
I, I just always thought Mortal Decay captured, you know, as far as they, they captured such a murderous, deranged sound on, you know, on the Grizzly Aftermath demo and also that even with Kelly on vocals with uh, the necroticism, not necroticism, uh, uh, sickening necro- erotic was, fanaticism. Yeah, right. yeah, I'm getting screwed mixed up with carcass yeah 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 with the young lady on the cover yeah right i forgive my forgive my old brain but yeah that <laughs> album is just it's just such a great album you know as far as it's, it's one of my favorite underground more underground death metal it just captures it's such a vibe to it yeah that's it's really unmatched you know by anybody it's just I, I you know it'd be interesting to hear their take on it like was it was it that because they, they couldn't capture it again, so I don't know how, like, but it was such a, it just captured such a, like, a, a murderous, uh, it was it's such, such a great, you know, feeling with that album, it's great. My favorite, my favorite, you know, old death metal album of all time would be uh, Like an Ever-Flowing Stream from Dismember. Wow. wow. But as far as new stuff goes, you know, you know, I'm more of a Spotify guy now, so the new pathology, I think, is great. Okay, all right. Wow. So you're really, I mean, you're really up on uh, uh, what's 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 out now, man. That's great. That's cool. Because because just uh, pathology. That's you're talking about something. It was just released within the last like week or two, right? Yeah, and then there's like two other songs along with it, and uh, that are new. And it just such a, it's it's really just. I I, I think it's fantastic, and um, the last disavowed was was excellent as far as the more brutal stuff goes it's so i wouldn't say i keep up with everything just certain stuff i just either happen to come across or I, some stuff i do keep up with you know, you know i have two kids a family i just don't have the time to of course pour, you know but you know most like i said it's mostly spotify what's on spotify so but yeah i do still try to you know keep tabs on things yeah, of course, perfectly understandable, man. And that uh, that is that's my favorite Mortal Decay album as well. We've talked about it. Uh we've we've had um uh Joe and um Kelly and John on the show. I th- we 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 got to get Anthony Apri, the drummer cuz I believe he's also the the main lyricist throughout all the years. So if we want to Yeah, have he's that. always been kind of the uh, the ori- you know, one of the originals, but like yeah, the, the, you know, the, even back then they were such great guys. And yeah. they were fun to play shows with, just a fun energy, fun jokes. Just that, it, yeah, I really cherish those times, you know, with, with you know, exam and suffocation and, and uh, internal bleeding. It was just such a, you know, especially Long Island had such a fantastic, legendary scene, pyrexia, pedilation, mm-hmm. and world of suffering. It's just, uh, it's such a great scene out there, too. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, re- you're really tugging at my heartstrings there, because that's like my first few death metal shows I ever attended. I was probably about 16 or 17 years old, and some friends brought me out there to Amity. Of course, it was in Amityville, um, a few miles away from the Amityville Horror House. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Reputilation, rest in peace to Matt Ferrara, and Disfigured. Yeah, uh, two of yeah and Disfigured too, Ryan. That was a, that was yeah. a very underrated, I wish they would have gotten, you know, because uh, they put out that EP that was recorded at the same place we, we recorded um dustin for defilement with brian griffin and and uh that, that turned out that was a great you know ep if you will and uh it, yeah just you guys you guys had such a great scene too it, 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 you know now that i'm older it's just you wish you could go back to those times and appreciate it you know for what it was you know 
it's just it was great 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 times <laughs> well that's why we do this show man it's it's the next best thing to a time machine um, yeah but but speaking of time we appreciate your time uh steve and um you know we, we want to be respectful of your time as we always say we, we thank you very much for the flesh grind story uh, again, we'll say uh, rest in peace to Rich Lips Coleman. We respect uh, all of his contributions to Flesh Grind. We thank you for your insight and to him and to all the other people that you talked about. Um, Steve Murray, longtime guitarist of Flesh Grind. Thank you. Any last uh, comments um, for listener for Flesh Grind fans and for listeners of our podcast? Um, just uh, stay brutal and keep it sick. <laughs> in the in the <laughs> classic tradition, man. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, thank you. Thanks to Steve Murray, guitarist of Flesh Grind, for giving his time and his story this evening, man. I appreciate that, man. Appreciate his candor, man. Yeah, man. Uh, let's let's be honest with the listeners. Let's tell them what's happening. I- I'm always honest with the listeners. I what, know. Are you, what are you implying? That uh, I, I sometimes facetiously make up things about having a girlfriend that goes to another high school somewhere. No, she wouldn't well, go to high slow school. Down, yeah. Slow down, <laughs> slow Having a girlfriend that works as a janitor in another high school somewhere. No, no. I'm saying you may have heard me during that interview do my impression of Justin during an interview. <laughs> oh, well, where you were where you were on your phone? I was on my phone the entire looking time. Up, looking yeah. up uh, uh, fishing lures? <laughs> yeah. So here at the Heavy Hole, we're uh, kind of rejiggering things because of uh, time constraints that we've been running into. Yeah. To bring yeah. you the best content we can, Will will be doing uh, some interviews. I, solo. I'm going solo in the hole, though. Um, that's yeah. tr- that's a true rap. Right. It's a true. Uh, yeah, I spit real bars. Right. So just letting you know, you know, you don't have to write in. Guys, so quiet. Guys, guys, guys. We're not going to answer those emails because I'm telling you now, we're not going to be on every interview. We're going to be on as many episodes as we can, and we're going to keep bringing you the best. Yeah. In the time-honored words of Nori, we're here now. Yeah. You could stop asking. So uh, yeah, that's that's all, man. We're to give you guys the Tom, Tom and Justin are ghosting me on the regular. Yep. Um, that's okay though because they're still behind the scenes doing a lot of the hard production work. But uh, I'm the megalomaniacal voice of the Heavy Hole podcast that has to interject my narrative, opinions, and most importantly, emotions into everything I do. So they're going to be taking a bit of a back seat and I'm also I'm I'm getting a little technical. I'm getting a little tech technical over here. You got to see this this guy on a MacBook. Yeah, crushing I, it. I got a notebook where I'm writing down command prompts. It's it's yeah. it's nice. I'm sure it's cute for Tom. It is it's 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 endearing. Charming. Yeah, it's endearing. <laughs> Another thing that's endearing. Yes. My relative who said, "Will, I know you got some time laid up." Here's access to my Amazon Prime Video account. Good, which is totally uh, legal. Jeff Bezos, absolutely. For me to watch that. Don't worry. Multiple Sorting devices allowed. Yeah, yeah, it's all gravy. Uh, but you know what wasn't gravy? A few of these flicks. All right. I I want to talk, Tom. Maybe you've seen a couple of these movies. I, I, some of them were good. 
I want to get your your opinion, man. Maybe I should have given you the rundown first, but this is kind of an off-the-cuff thing. Um, but I'm going to go in order that I watched them. This was when I first got access, and I perused that. You could, man, you could stay scrolling that menu for a long time. Yeah, they really got you on the uh, dopamine movies. hit. Every time you go right, and go, oh, I can't wait. Yeah, why can't you just get a nice little list? Like, you know, like an alphabetical list. I, I think I said it on one of our shows. I just wish these places listed things by year. Oh, Jeff, yeah. when we were talking to Jeff Sasson from, um, yes, from yes. Troglodyte. Which, yeah. by the way, The Gate, available for free on Amazon. I haven't watched it yet, waiting for a special moment. Okay. Um, but a few movies that I just tossed in over the week. What was the first one I watched? That was The Night Will Eat the World, or The, the Night, what was that one, man? It was a zombie movie. I believe it was made in France. Did not see that Fairly one. Fairly current one. Let me get the right, just for the listeners, if they want to... Um, The Night Will Eat the World, a French zombie movie from 2018. That's why directed I Directed by you. Dominique Rocher. That's why I need you here when we're not talking to death metal artists. Um, yes, I watched that. Interesting. I felt, you know, our listeners uh, across the pond, sometimes, I've heard them say that people lose the plot. That's how they That's how they say you fucked up over there. When you go to England, they say you lost the plot. Lost the plot. Mm. I, re- I kind of understand. Like, I felt like it just kind of... I don't know. It fell off a little bit for me, but I thought it was, it's worth it's worth a watch. It's got some interesting ideas. He's a little musical guy, the main guy. Okay, it's nice. Right. Um, uh, no, I haven't seen this one. I worth all right. Here's my thing. I'm not. I don't like to give grand sweeping like oh fuck this and this is garbage and uh, mm. I'm just gonna give you a worth a watch or not a worth a watch in my opinion. That was worth it. Okay, if you got the time. It's worth it. Worth it. Worth a little watch. Um, uh, what was oh, I watched Chud. Chud's great. Palate cleanser. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, to be perfectly honest, you, you might be so. I've never seen it. Oh, really? Up until yesterday. I, I saw it a few years ago for the first time. I mean, this is not something I remember from my youth. No. Uh, but I, you know, John Hurt, great performance. John Daniel Hurt, Stern, yeah. The man. Killing it. Uh, it, it's a it's a fun story. Cool practical effects. Definitely on the goofier side. A little Roger Corman esque, but uh, grittier. In, yeah, in, in some degrees, absolutely worth a watch, and you know, just knowing the legacy, it was always one of those like little, like one like kind of like a classic death metal album that I had never heard, and I I don't want people knowing I haven't heard it, you know. So you just smile and nod yeah. every time it comes yeah, up. Yeah, Chud was one of those. Things. I watched Chud, man. Yeah, John heard. My my favorite part though is a little cameo scene by a, by a young John Goodman. Oh yeah, kind of he's aud- a cop, right? Kind of audacious, arrogant cop, and he just he's in and he's out real quick. It's, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, a lot of he a lot sold of sold that bit. A lot of int- yeah, that was that, uh, yeah. So Chud was that. Um, but then getting back into uh, my foray into cinema, um, the movie we have to talk about Kevin with uh, uh, Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton, and, uh, John C. Riley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when well, first of all, Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley. I mean, the casting director got me on that. Yeah. I, I, I was I, like, all right, <laughs> all right. You know, and then you read a little bit about what it's about. I'm like, all right, well, I got it at least. I got to admit, out of the f- out of the five movies I've watched so far, I think that was my favorite. Dark. Mm. But I think it was good. It was d- done well. Done well. Done well. Yeah. I I got a crush on Tilda Swinton, too. She's like, uh, she's just like anyone you want her to be, really. Well, she plays a woman in this, right. which is, yeah, Odd for, for me. Yeah. That, that does it for me. <laughs> Um, uh, it's it's weird. It's very emotional. That film. 
I yeah, I liked it's, it. It was dark. It was. Yeah. It had like it like I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but there was definitely like it. It was wearing a, it was wearing a horror movie's robe at some point. Like it was kind of like a like a like a, a, a family dark family drama in like a horror movie's guise. Yeah, or it was something. like. Patrick Bateman Jr. esque. Yeah, yeah, there was something happening there. I I really enjoyed that. That was that was that was a really dark, but definitely worth a watch, man. It resonated with me when I saw it a few years ago. I I, I never really thought about it though. I, it stuck with me, and I just didn't process it. To be honest with you, it, a uh, lot going on. Didn't, didn't dislike it. I'll, I'll yeah. give it a rewatch. A lot going on. A lot of things you can kind of go back and say was well was this because of that or does this mean that you know little little things little things in the scenes there. Yeah. No spoilers here. Uh, moving forward, um, uh, what was the one I watched after that? The 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 light of my life. Uh, K- Casey Affleck. That's Ben Affleck's brother. Yeah, right? I, I've never heard of that one. Mm. Pulling up the IMDb now. Mm. I'm gonna give it a hard worth a watch. Yeah. If you got the time to invest, if you got the time, it's worth. It. If you if you're in a position like me, maybe you know you got a little time to kill. You can't do the yard work. You can't go to work. You're laid up. Yeah, it's a hard worth a watch. But yeah, interesting. It's you know it's one of these kind of dystopian, wandering the the world. I believe it definitely took a little bit from the road. If you remember that, that was a good film. Sim- yeah. Very huh. you know similar premise. Somewhat similar, you know, some similarities in the idea. Definitely in the in the like the the tension building aspects of the the parent child relationship in this dystopian world going on. A lot of similarities there that you could trace. Um, uh, hard worth a watch. Definitely a little self indulgent. A little slow moving. Okay. Yeah. Little. I mean, like there's you know there's times where you could tell they're trying to do like the it's just kind of like a father daughter relationship movie within a dystopian. Thriller, like but, a Last of Us kind of thing. That's a video game, so which I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. No, no, that's cool because I've I've seen it compared to that when I when I read up on it a little bit, man. But yeah, like, but but the, here's the problem. There's certain parts where I can go with that. That, that deepens the world, deepens the characters. I'm into it. I right. like it. There were definitely some parts where I wanted to nudge the main character on the shoulder and be like, guy. You know, come on, like, let's, what's going on? Or maybe just the camera person, like, we could film another event in this story besides this, you know. I think, this, I think truly what you, like, you just want to, you just want to kick the editor every now and then. Yeah, and the idea, well, here's the thing, I'm, well, I'm going to wait for this point. Remind me about this point, because it's a similar point in the next one I watch, because I'm going to keep it moving. We already had our interview, but, but just another movie that, that was for free on Amazon, and I, you know, I, I had access to someone else's app. Don't worry, I'm not selling out. Um, if you keep reminding them, they're gonna think you sold out. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But but well, this is just for the listeners. Maybe you're stuck at home. It's Halloween weekend, and it's it's content, Tom. God damn it, sure is. So um, you you guys are gonna be lucky if we don't cut this and just put it on Patreon. So the last one that I watched, you, what was it? You were never really here, but with Walking Phoenix. It's a oh. made for Amazon movie that came out like a year or two ago. He plays he plays like a ex some sort of grizzled old veteran type of guy and he, he has like an underground business retrieving kidnapped girls. Oh no, I, I've never even heard of this one. Which which sets it I will say this. 
Now I'm gonna say this. This is the movie that I'm gonna say this about, Tom. Not say worth a, not worth a watch for me. Oh, okay. Not worth a watch. You heard it here first. If I could go back in time, if I had a time machine like the movies and could go back in time and do any, I wouldn't go back and tell myself in high school to work out and have self confidence and invest some money and get a good degree and all that. I wouldn't go back and get some winning lotto tickets or some bet you know i would i I wouldn't do any of that stuff i would go back and say will you probably don't want to watch this movie good just watch hellraiser okay because hellraiser one through four surprisingly or at least one and two i think free on amazon so that's where i'm going next but the listeners probably already know that but yeah this movie with locking phoenix all i'm gonna say about this they set it up with a very interesting premise the movie struggles to be the movie it sets itself up to be within the opening like scene a strong opening scene that okay. gets you invested gets you interesting atmosphere you think you're going somewhere you know, you do go a couple of places but you definitely you definitely do not go everywhere that the opening sequence and the opening scene sets you up to think you're going. It's okay. not you know, failure to deliver. Dude, there's some parts where they just rub it in your face that these are kind of like artsy Hollywood, you know, people. Like there's just scenes where they're kind of just like rubbing it in your face that and there's there's a scene I got to admit there's one I don't do like doing the spoilers, but I you know, it's, it's to me I, I just told you I, I, I would yeah, watch yeah. it. I'll just say this, and I won't give it any context, all right? And you can take what you want from this quote from about this movie. The scene where he sings in unison and holds hands while lying on the floor with the man he just shot. I don't think they would have had the balls to put that in a movie pre-COVID when people were still going to movie theaters and could have laughed out loud at that. Okay. Or if it had been a movie on a platform like that, not an Amazon streaming movie. I don't think this was your intention, but now I want to see that. Uh, it's there's it, it, that's that's not indicative of the whole movie. Okay, but there is definitely a somewhere like halfway through the movie where they go on this extended cinema cinematic jerk off session, right? To remind you the art of film um, exists, and and there's all yeah, and there's this, and it kind of like you're. You're you're kind of sprung off into cinema land um, by this sequence, yeah, of of like of a of a he shoots the guy and he's so like grizzled and fed up, he lays on the floor next to the guy, and they sing together and they and they and, they, and you're just like I'm just thinking if this was in a movie theater, there would be people laughing out loud. They wouldn't try that if they knew it was going to a theater. They're getting ballsy. Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't really thought of that. I'm not a well-educated like, man. Maybe I don't understand the art. No, I never really thought of that as a liberty that could be taken by filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that could be uh, very much people's viewpoints have changed. And people are much sadder now than they were. Mm. Just Maybe they were trying to cheer me up in the middle of the movie with that. I don't, that was, well, you got to watch it, Thomas. I mean, I have I have uh, gotten sad over things that are not intended to be sad. Maybe it's just an emotional jerk, if you would. Mm. Maybe there's so much happening in the moment. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I, I'm going to watch it now <sighs> because you told me about this mm. awful scene. And, yeah, you already said don't watch it, but mm-hmm. that does seem like fun. I'm still stuck on you talking about being sad while having an emotional jerk. But listen, Tom, it's not that type of podcast. It's Halloween weekend. I just thought I'd break down some thrillers 
for the for the the listeners, men, um, uh, that I happen to watch because of that. I went on a little binge, uh, and I am going to try to do a little bonus episode to have out this weekend, uh, talking about some 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 horror movies that maybe we could all relate to a little bit more. Maybe not just those of us who you know listen to jazz on a little Sunday afternoon at the cafe. You know what I'm saying? I hate that person. I do too, and yeah. I can tell you who he is, but we we won't go there. <laughs> Shout to him. Anyway, oh, uh, heavyholepodcast.com is where you can go. Uh, all the links are there. You can support us on Patreon for bonus content. Um, you could buy a T-shirt. You could buy a patch. Yeah. Uh, you could click on a nice link and go over to Facebook or Instagram, wherever you want to check out bo- uh, little extra stuff that we post. Google Videos. It's not even hard. Anyone could do this shit. If you have the access to be listening to this podcast, you already probably intuitively know that we have a website and social medias. Yeah. We, we don't have to say it. We'd be extremely irresponsible for not having those things. Mm-hmm. So thanks in advance for liking and subscribing and all that crap. Oh, also, you know what we haven't seen in a while? iTunes ratings. I don't use iTunes, but every now and then as a podcast host, I will check the ratings. And I've seen this massive migration from Apple products to Spotify for mm. listening on podcasts. Well, guess what? If you listen to it on Spotify, you can still rate it on Apple. So go for it, people. Oh, Tom Give wants you ratings. to do that. I back that. I back that. Let us know. Do what he said. Five stars or yes. one star, but mostly five stars. Yeah. I Sometimes when I'm listening to the podcast back to make edit notes, my cat will come out of his... Where he stays underneath the bookshelf. Right. And i that's my idea of a rating system. That's how I know we're doing okay or not. Cat came out. Yeah, the cat came out. Aha. Anyway. <laughs> Somebody we should be extremely uh, thankful for and take seriously. Steve Murray, longtime guitarist of Flesh Grind, speaking with, with us this evening uh, about Flesh Grind's career. Keeping it real, keeping it candid. We appreciate his candor. Um, and again, you can check out Burning Dogma Records for that uh, those reissues of the full um, Flesh Grind live in Germany concert and also the Demo Days uh, compilation of both demos reissued. Uh, highly recommended band, um, classic band from my youth. I was glad we got to have that conversation, man. Shout out to Steve Murray. Shout out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's... How do we wrap the show now? I mean, like, it's it's weird for me. Is there it's, a voicemail number? Oh, yeah. Good idea. 631-837-3274. Give that a call if you got something to talk about. If you want to let us know. We don't have any voicemails this week. We have one, but it's actually really mad. I'm not going to play it. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to listen to that one, and why don't you send us a happy one? <laughs> 